The teaching for this evening comes from Galatians 2, 15 through 21. This is God's word. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. As we uh, come back to the letter of Galatians tonight, in many ways we're, uh, we're picking up in a section or finishing off a section that we began a couple weeks ago. And if, if you've been tracking with us so far every week, I've been saying that this is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a group of churches in most likely uh, what we might call modern-day Turkey. And the central idea of this letter is about freedom. It's about gospel freedom. And I want to keep stressing, too, it's not just that it's an, an, a freedom in the abstract, but... What Paul writes about here is a freedom that is a gift that is intended to make its way into every nook and cranny of your life, that it would be a part of your actual lived experience. And a couple weeks ago, we began to unpack perhaps what that might actually look like. And it came actually in in Paul's uh, confrontation with uh, the Apostle Peter, When Peter was at the church in Antioch and he had been eating with fellow Gentile believers and then some came from Jerusalem and uh, in the midst of uh, this time in in the early church, there were some who were saying that in order to become a Christian, you didn't only need to trust in Jesus, you also need to become Jewish. You needed to become circumcised. You needed to follow various food laws and uh, follow a certain calendar. And Paul is, uh, has found out that Peter, uh, influenced by these folks from Jerusalem, that he stopped eating with fellow believers who were Gentiles. And Paul opposed Peter. And what we discovered in that was that the, the, one of the central ideas that goes into Paul's message of freedom is encapsulated for us in uh, verse 14 of chapter 2 when he says to Peter, uh, or says about what Peter was doing, that he was not living in line with or in step with the truth of the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying to us that the Christian life is a continual realignment process. That faith in Jesus is a continual process of our lives coming under the influence of this good news about Jesus that changes the way that we think about ourselves, other people, the way we relate to them, the way we relate to God. But it's worth asking the question, you know, when when Paul says to Peter, uh, you're not living in line with or in 
keeping with or in step with the truth of the gospel. What is the truth of the gospel that Peter had forgotten? It's not that that Peter wasn't a Christian. It's that he had forgotten the gospel. And the question is, well, what had he forgotten? And Paul answers that question for us in the passage we're looking at tonight in verses 15 to 21. And it's essentially this, that the gospel truth that Peter had forgotten and that Paul, in writing this, wants us to both understand and to embrace and take into the very center of our lives is this, that no one can be justified by living a good life, but only by the grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is try to unpack that for us and look at tonight Paul's teaching on what he calls justification, what it means to be justified before God. And so I want to look at what is it, what is justification, how do we receive it, and then we'll end with why does it matter, what difference does it make for you as a, as a normal person every day doing the things that you do. So first, let's look at what it is. In this passage in verses 15 to 21, Paul uses some form of the word justify, which is uh, the same word in Greek is, is used to, is translated justify or righteous or righteousness. He uses that word at least five times in this passage. And I want to give you a couple uh, definitions, if you will, of what, what does the Bible mean by to justify. And then I want to try to tease that out for us and try to help you to see the ways in which we try to justify our existence or even begin to think about that in everyday uh, circumstances. So here is what justify or justification means in the Bible. It means to declare a person who is on trial before a judge that he or she is not liable to any penalty but instead is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law perfectly. So this is justification in the Bible. What it means is it is a declaration over a person who is guilty that they are not guilty by virtue of of what the judge says. It is a declaration of freedom. It does not mean that the, the, the person who is declared free is in fact righteous in and of himself or herself, but that with respect to God, this person is declared free, is declared righteous. And the question is, how is that possible, which is what we're going to continue to look at. Another way to think of it is that when Paul uses this word to justify or justified It's the opposite of condemn or condemnation. So one writer says that to condemn is to declare somebody guilty. To justify is to declare someone not guilty or to declare them innocent or righteous. So therefore, for Paul, in the Bible, justification refers to God's act of unmerited favor by which God puts a sinner right with himself. So if there's one thing that you hear me say about Paul's teaching in this passage, 
justification in the Bible is always about what God does. It is not about what you do. It is an act and work of God that he does on the behalf of a guilty sinner. That is perhaps one of the most significant things that we need to continue to try to understand and work out in our own understanding of the Christian gospel. So with that in mind, some of that, a little bit more, I understand, a little bit more, I guess, kind of academic way of describing this, I want to try to help you to see it in your daily life. How does our propensity to justify ourselves bubble over in your everyday life? Uh, what, is, what, what is it? What does it look like? Um, Let me give you some examples to help you get your mind wrapped around this. Think of your resume. Uh, Your resume is essentially a validating performance record. Your resume lists all the things on it that validate you, that declare you to be of a certain kind of person, and perhaps, depending on whoever is reading it, entitled to certain kinds of opportunities. It's a validating performance record. Uh, let me give you an, another example of perhaps how this works. A somewhat, perhaps, humorous uh, example, though certainly it wasn't for Rocky in uh, the first Rocky movie. The night before he is to go and fight Apollo Creed, he comes home from walking around and he's talking to Adrian and he always sounds drunk, but <laughs> he's from Philly. Um, uh, I can say that because I've lived there for a little bit. But he comes home and he says to, I, I'm not, if you're from Philly, I'm not saying that everybody in Philly's drunk. I'm just saying Rocky sounds that way. Um, and he, he's, he's reflecting on this big fight and he says to Adrian, I can't win this fight. I can't, I can't win. And then he says something just very profound, believe it or not. He says, but that doesn't matter. Because all that matters is that I go the distance. All I want to do is go the distance. No one has gone the distance with Apollo Creed and heard that last bell and was still standing. All I want to do is go the distance. Because then if I go the distance, then I'll know then I'll know I'm not a bum. That is a validating performance record. That is the desire to justify your existence bubbling over. All I want, if, if I can just go the distance, I'll know I'm okay. I'll know I'm not a bum. I'll know I'm somebody. That's how justification works in your life. Let me give you another way to think about this. Um, I recently was listening to a, a TED, uh, the TED Radio Hour, which was talking about a TED Talk and lots of discussion about social media. And uh, this is not a, a, uh, a statement for or against social media. It's more to get you to think about how it works in your life. But um, one of the speakers said something I thought was profound. That social media, in many ways, has turned our society into a surveillance society. And I don't mean that by the government snooping on you. I just mean the way in which 
we view other people or you view yourselves in relationship to other people. So take Instagram. Have you ever seen ever a family post a picture of a family fight? <laughs> of kids in tears, of somebody throwing someone something at someone. You never see that. What you always see is the perfect family, the perfect setting with very emotional and beautiful, thankful descriptions that make me want to gag. They're great. I'm happy for that. But I'm like, this is, I know that's real, but the way in which it hits me, it's like, that's not real life 30 seconds later. (laughs) That's how it hits me. Or perhaps on Facebook. Uh, Facebook is a place where you can go and either... Uh, You can find out who has opinions that you share and agree with or whom you do not. And you can either feel really self-justified because, man, I can't believe that person believes that. Or you can feel a sense of, um, I don't know, teamwork with other people who are on your side against the other of you. Uh, Or take LinkedIn. Uh, You ever get those... uh, those alerts when someone gets a promotion? How do you feel about that? Or do you ever get the alert that says, uh, check out your profile because you're getting attention? You see, Paul here describes this phrase, works of the law, which uh, I think is a little lost on us. But it is a validating performance record. It's simply this, this, uh, this approach to your life that says, my performance, how I'm doing, is what makes me okay. It's what makes me uh, not a bum. It's what justifies who I am. It makes my life worthwhile. And I, I want you to think about that for a moment. That when we come to, to Paul's teaching here on justification... What he wants you to see here is every one of us in this room are striving to justify our existence. And what he wants you to see in verse 16, look at the very end. He says, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, try as you might, succeed as you may, You will never be justified. There will always be more work for you to do. He is making a universally valid statement when he says, we know a person is not justified by works of the law. It's not possible. But then he says, A person is justified through faith in Jesus. These are two diametrically opposed ways of living your life. And they are mutually exclusive. And you are either in one or the other. There is no middle ground. And this is true whether you would consider yourself a Christian or not. There are only two ways to live. Either you will live to justify yourself or you will abandon that effort 
and seek justification in Christ and him alone. Those are the only two options. Now, why does Paul say that? Why does he say that by works of the law, your performance, whether they be religious or just moral, no one will be justified? Well, one of them is that Scripture says again and again that everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And in fact, Paul is probably quoting from Psalm 143, which we read earlier, when he, he, I think it's in verse 2 or 3, where the psalmist says, no one is righteous before God. This, Paul isn't making this up. Paul is tying this down to the scriptures of the Old Testament. And he's bringing it into the New Testament under the good news about Jesus. But it's not just that the scriptures teach this, but I think if we're honest, we also know that we aren't what we should be. We aren't what we should be. And yet left to our own devices, our own uh, efforts, all we are left with is how can I get the best possible validating performance record and hope that it wins the day. That's the best you can hope for on your own. Therefore, even as Paul argues that we cannot earn God's favor, he doesn't leave us there. He actually leads us to the one who can. This brings us to our second point here about how do we receive the justification that he speaks of here, the justification that we need. In verse 16, again, and Paul is telling us, and this is, I'm, I, this is a very on-the-surface simple point, but I want to make it as clear as I can, that if it's not by works of the law, then Paul says it is through faith, or it's by faith. Now think about this for a moment. What does that teach us about what faith is? Faith is the opposite of productivity. Faith is the opposite of striving of performing, of achieving. It is absolutely receptive. It's utterly dependent. It brings nothing to the table. It admits I have nothing to bring to the table. It admits that you are utterly helpless. Now, it's really, I think, important to realize Paul is saying this as a Jew of Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he is saying this about the most religious activity you can, you can think of as a Jewish person. He is not saying this about somebody who's just made a mess of their life. He's saying this about religious people in particular. That faith is the exact opposite of the works of the law. However, even as Paul proclaims this gospel, look here in verse 17 and 18. Even as he says, no one will be justified by works of the law, but but only through faith in Jesus, there's an objection that comes up. And the objection is, is this, simply, that if works of the law are not necessary, if my performance or my obedience is unnecessary for justification, to be right with God, does this mean that Jesus Christ is a servant of sin, that he encourages sin, that he promotes sin, that this is cheap grace, that it doesn't really matter how you live. 
And there's actually a hidden premise in that objection to free grace. And the hidden premise is this. That objection against the free grace of God, it assumes something. It assumes that the only motivation for loving and obeying God is the fear of punishment, of consequences for not doing the right thing. And if you take away the fear of punishment, if that's taken away, then so is your motivation to obey. But this entirely misses the motivation to love God, to follow him, that Paul teaches us here and that is is available for every believer to draw from. Notice what he says in verse 20 when he says, I no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, gospel freedom, living in line with the truth of the gospel, the motivation for that is not fear of punishment. It's not fear of consequences. It's the love of Jesus poured out for sinners in giving himself, not just his time and his effort, but his very life on the cross. You see, for Paul, his new life in Christ is motivated out of a desire to love, to know, and to resemble the one who first loved him. See, the, only the gospel can change the deepest motivations and desires of your heart to remake you, to renew you, so that your life is no longer motivated by fear, by insecurity, by a need to justify your existence. But it's the gospel the Son of God who loved you and gave his life for you that begins to transform your heart and why you do what you do. So for Paul, therefore, faith, what is faith is becoming united to Jesus. If you notice here how many times Paul will say, he says, faith in Christ We have believed in Christ. To be justified by faith in Christ. And then he goes on and says, if we, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ. And then he says, look in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. The number one most common way that Paul refers to a Christian as someone who is in Jesus is united to him. And this is actually uh, the the, the deepest response Paul gives to this objection that some of uh, those who were opposing him were making, that Paul's gospel cannot make you holy. It's too free. And in fact, I would tell you, if you, don't, if you preach the free grace of God tenaciously and you hold to that, you will inevitably, uh, I have actually been charged for, from time to time preaching grace so uh, absolutely 
that it's perceived as um, licentious. There's no way that God could actually require absolutely nothing from you. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that to be made right with God, you cannot factor into that equation. It is entirely a gift. You cannot earn his favor. You cannot keep his favor. You can't acquire it. You can't persuade him. You can't do anything. All of God's favor towards you is unmerited. It is a gift. It is received by faith alone in Christ alone. And so when Paul talks about faith here as a union with Jesus, what he's saying here is that to be, to trust in Jesus, to be united to Jesus, is to say that his experience on this earth, loving his neighbors, loving his heavenly Father, of resisting sin and temptation, even to the point of dying on the cross, unjustly, and rising from the dead, that his experience is now your experience. Listen to what he says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. What Paul is telling us here is that what Jesus did on the cross is now true of you who trust in him. So when he says, I, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God, that's a profound thing for a Jewish person to say. What he's saying is, I couldn't live through the law. The law only killed me. It only showed how I couldn't do what God required. And how did I die to the law? How did the law cease to have power over me? It's because Jesus, in him, Jesus died to all of the consequences of breaking God's law. So that when he died, his death, and all of that that means, when you trust in Jesus, it becomes true of you. So when Paul teaches us here about faith, I have to tell you that, you know, as I think about this passage and and, and, uh, was thinking about this sermon, there's so much I want to try to understand and absorb, and I've been a Christian a long time. There's so much I want you to understand and absorb. So we're going to have to come back to this again and again over the years at Red Mountain. This is something we never graduate from, but it is the heartbeat of Christianity. It is the heartbeat of gospel freedom. You can't enjoy and experience it without what Paul is saying here. So I want to look briefly as we come to a close. Why does this stuff matter? And how would you begin to see it in your life as it begins to take root in your life through faith in Jesus? See, what, what I want you to see is that Justification by faith, being united to Jesus, it impacts absolutely every dimension of your life. So look with me what I mean here. Look at Paul, first of all. Paul's message here, it radically transforms your self-identity. When Paul says, it is no longer I who live, this is verse 20 again, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul now understands that he is loved. That he is secure in Christ. And remember how we looked at weeks ago. Paul went around persecuting Jesus and his church. Paul wanted people dead who proclaimed that they believed Jesus. And here Paul is saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, Paul is no longer the center of his life anymore. It's Jesus. And he has come to know, not just that, you know, we we first looked at in in Galatians 1.4, that uh, this is a, a great rescue mission. It is that. But Paul now understands. It is for him personally. One of the ways that you know that the gospel's taking root in your life is that you are able to say what Paul says here. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And this is the most important part, that who loved you who gave himself for you. See, justification by faith radically transforms your self-image. Believe it or not, this is where we find emotional and psychological health. When you know you are loved by your creator and that you have the love and acceptance of the one whose opinion really matters, it is possible for you not to just become spiritually new and spiritually whole, but emotionally, mentally, psychologically whole. But not only does Paul tell us about how the gospel radically transforms our self-identity, it also transforms our relationships with others. Remember Paul opposing Peter. Why did Paul oppose Peter? What was it about the gospel that made Peter, Paul go to Peter and say, Peter, you're not living in line with the gospel. The answer to that is, is that Paul understood himself to be so closely identified with Jesus, who, as we'll see later, is an outcast in Galatians 3. He was cursed. He was condemned. He was rejected. See, for Paul, to understand the gospel means that you identify yourself with, you are connected with one who is cursed, who's rejected, who's condemned. Therefore, how could you ever turn away somebody who is an outcast, who is rejected, who is condemned, who is unlovely, who isn't accepted? Because you see, to believe in Jesus means that you understand yourself to be that kind of person, and it's only but by God's grace that you are welcomed in. That radically changes the way that we think about one another. But not only does it change how we think about ourselves and other people, ultimately, and perhaps most significantly, it changes your relationship with God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The most significant dimension of what Paul is teaching us here is that it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that you can 
have peace with the one who made you, the one who keeps your heart beating, the one who gets you up out of bed every day, who feeds you and clothes you. And not just, um, and the peace in view here is not that uh, we sort of have come around to the idea that we would like to have a relationship with God and would like for that to be worked out. What this means is that you are no longer God's enemy. That God has done what had to be done in order to make you know, to turn you from an enemy into a son or a daughter. That in Jesus you have peace with God. And that peace is irrevocable because it is given to you in Christ. So that's why Paul, at the end of this, at the end of this passage, he ends by saying, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul here, what he's telling us is he is, he is tenaciously holding on to the grace of God. Because when we lose sight of it, or we're drawn away from it, you lose the gospel. You lose the clarity and the beauty and the power of the death of Jesus for sinners. And so I want to leave you to think about this. How do you this week need to fight for this grace in your life? How does the grace of God get nullified in your life? Is it your internal self-reproach? Is it the criticisms of others? Is it the fear that perhaps God could never love you? How do you, how does this grace get nullified in your life? When you begin to see that, take time to pinpoint that and come back to this passage. And read again what Paul talks about. Because Paul is helping us to do battle against those things. Because he wants you to know, why did Jesus really come? What did he come to do for you? He wants you to know that God in Jesus loves you. That he came for you. That in Jesus... There is freedom. There is peace. There is joy. There is new motivation for life. All of the relentless pursuit to justify your existence begins to evaporate and lose its hold because of this grace in Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would work through this passage And I pray, Father, that as we continue through this letter to the Galatians, that uh, you would allow this beautiful news of free justification, of being made right with you, that this great news would sink deeply into our hearts, that we would find freedom from works of the law, from validating our own performance, from striving and, and achieving And instead, we pray that you would uh, give us freedom 
to receive, to rest, and that you would give us new desires, new motivations, born out of your love for us in Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.